right, y'all know what time it is. <laughs> you hear that other laughter. That's really not me throwing my voice. Everybody, I want to welcome you all to um, Thoughts from a Lawnmower. And uh, it's been a while since I've had guests on. So for episode 42, 42, 42. Um, we're going. I'm going to have a repeat guest uh, on my. I don't like to call it a show. I just you know on 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 my podcast, uh, doctor and pastor and retired chaplain mm -hmm. from the United States Army, Dr. Jeff Spangler, who's my guest today. Ever say hello, Jeff. Hello, hello. Okay, see. So Good to be here. So just just to prove I'm not I make, exist. I, I'm not making him <laughs> up. He's not he's not an invisible friend or anything like that. He really is everything I said. An all around nice guy, of course. Um and today I kinda wanna dive right into uh, uh, an issue that has been kind of bugging me mm -hmm. a lot lately, and uh, although I realize that most a lot of my audience, all you know, tens of people that are <laughs> in my audience, I realize that not uh, all of them are Christians, and right. I've I've made that 
I've made that statement in episodes before. I realize that not everyone listening is a Christian, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have a problem with that. I, I'm glad for it. But it may seem that some of this, the subject matter that I talk about doesn't relate to them because they're not, they're not Christians. Right. Well, that's not true, because even if you're not a believer, there are certain things that I deal with with my Christian worldview that does Mm-hmm. Uh, affect believers and non-believers. Right. Um, and I'm not trying to make this something exclusive just for believers. I'm going to focus on that. Mm-hmm. So if you're not a believer today, that's fine. We can fix that. Uh, but if you're if you're Happy not a, to help you yeah, <laughs> if you're not a believer today, mm-hmm. that's okay because I think this subject crosses those lines and the 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 line the thing that's been bothering me particularly in the christian community Mm -hmm. is this uh well it's actually twofold the first is that uh we're we're going to be talking about nationalism we're going to talk about christian nationalism and that has become a not a term of endearment Mm -hmm. Uh, it is. Uh, there's a word I'm looking for. It's 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 uh, pejorative, mm-hmm. I guess you could say, and uh, I don't think that's fair. First of all, mm-hmm. and second of all, uh, I think that there are a lot of Christians buying into a whether they know it or not. I think they're buying into a worldview that they claim to be opposed to, but they're they're actually buying into this issue Mm -hmm. now what led me to this and i'll be getting to my guest um but what led me to this was a friend of mine posted on facebook and i you know i mentioned facebook an awful lot but i i get to see uh i realize there's a bunch of crap on facebook but i get to see how people really do think when they post certain things. And I had a friend who posted something from a Reverend Benjamin Creamer. I don't know mm-hmm. if it's Creamer or Kramer. It's C-R-E-M-E-R. So I'm going to go with Creamer. Um, uh, not to be confused with coffee creamer. <laughs> and Spelled the same. Though, uh, right? Spelled the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and so m- m- this friend of mine, who I know is a believer, mm-hmm. I know is a follower of Christ, and I've known him for a lot of years, but I've noticed that his pattern of thinking mm-hmm. has gone down a disturbing past, uh, past path, excuse me, mm-hmm. um, uh, I won't edit that, mm-hmm. and um, he posted... My friend posted this meme by Reverend Benjamin Creamer, which I let you, Pastor, I let you read this. Mm-hmm. Um, and the statement in here is, quote, Jesus keeps inviting us Christians to take up our crosses and follow him. Nationalism keeps inviting us Christians to take up, excuse me, let me rephrase that. Nationalism keeps inviting us Christians to take up our swords and follow Caesar. Mm-hmm. We can't carry both a cross and a sword. We can't follow both Jesus and Caesar. Our allegiance can only be for one Lord. Mm-hmm. Now, there's so much <laughs> error mm-hmm. 
in that statement. But it sounds very good. Now, first, it, it leads off with Jesus keeps inviting us Christians to take mm -hmm. up our crosses and follow him. Well, that's absolutely true. Sure. I, don't, I don't think we have any dispute mm -hmm. uh, with that. That is absolutely true. But then we put uh, nationalism as if that is a competing statement. Right. Competing to, or opposing. Or opposing. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I would say equal opposite, right. you know, uh, the inverse, and that's just not so. And second of all, his statement, we can't carry both a cross and a sword. Um, where in the scripture does it say that? Mm -hmm. And uh, our allegiance can be only for one Lord. Okay, so as I understand, I mean, you, you were you know, a military it's man. It's a reductionist and simplistic way of understanding life. Correct. And yeah. and I would like, for example, okay, you're a married man, I'm a married man. Mm -hmm. I would, I think I could reasonably assume that you have an allegiance to your wife. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Now, is that allegiance in competition with God, right. with Christ? No, right. it's not. And that's the problem is that this idea that if... God is my primary allegiance if I'm devoted to Christ as a believer. Therefore, then I can't be loyal or um, supportive of any other um, sovereign or any other authority or any other relationship. And that's just not true. And you certainly can't uh, back that up scripturally if you're looking to the Bible as your authority. Um, Bible... If you choose to read it as it is, um, it's replete with examples of um, people who are loyal to Christ above all, yet also have loyalties, say, to Rome and Israel and other relationships. So it's a very simplistic uh, statement. And it's, um, it's, like you said, it's a platitude that sounds good and but it's really unhealthy and destructive. Well, now, uh, I've got a couple of directions I want to go in this. And I've, I've asked you, and I, I'm going to have you read it in a minute. I've asked you to, to look up the definition of nationalism. Mm -hmm. So first of all, we want to we establish that. But before I do that, before I have you read those things, and I've already read them, but because you have them on your phone right there in front of you. Um, <clears throat> I want to quote another friend of mine who I actually asked him permission to use his name and, and to use this quote. Uh, this was also on Facebook. But, or it was I was addressing someone else who had posted from uh, something else from Benjamin Creamer. And uh, so I had expressed my opposition to the statements that Reverend Creamer has made. And see, this is the problem. He has the title Reverend, so that somehow gives him this air of authority mm -hmm. and that people are pointing to. They're using it, and that's fine because I do the same thing. As, as a matter of fact, in a way, I'm doing that right now. Yeah. But it, it somehow is a way of maybe some Christians telling other Christians to shut up in a polite way, you know, to kind of tamp down on dissenting opinion mm -hmm. 
uh, you know, this is this is Bible is what they're saying. Is that this is it's appealing to an authority. Correct. This authority, and it's it's a failure of it's a bad argument. Mm-hmm. Um, but okay, and that's fine. I mean, I you know I realize it's Facebook, and I realize that you can't always take major big issues and put it down into a thirty second soundbite. And it, you know, I get it. I, I I mean, I I do that too. There's certain things that you kind of we all appeal to authority in a certain way. However, I find it 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 also becomes cover. It becomes a way of shutting down debate. It kind of you know, well, this this is what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, I mean, scholarship is essentially appealing to or quoting authority. So you know. Um, in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with that. But then you got to look at the caliber of the authority you're referring to, you know. So then you got to be you got to be willing to scrutinize that authority that you're quoting and what they're all about. So we can grab anybody and call them an authority, but then what is their right? Um, what is their credentials, or you know, what are they correct? What's their background? So yeah. Now. So I'm going to read uh, my friend Bill Murphy uh, after I had posted my lengthy, which wouldn't surprise <laughs> you, uh, dissenting view. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he agreed with me, of course, and this is what he said um, to me. He said, uh, "Will our pastor recently shared a meme of Creamers without knowing who Creamer is?" That didn't ring true for me, so I researched Creamer and read a bunch of his tweets, as well as his comments on other tweets. Unfortunately, my initial suspicions were correct. Benjamin Creamer is a divisive left-wing ideologue who believes evangelicals are white supremacists, Mm -hmm. supports the social justice gospel, warns against Christian nationalism, is supported by people who seek a, quote, secular democracy, unquote, embraces socialism, and would rather criticize believers who use the phrase, let's go Brandon, than the words and deeds from the person about whom that phrase was coined. (laughs) Creamer is an expert in obfuscation and disingenuousness. His posts slash tweets are the modern day equivalent of, quote, did God really say, unquote. And that was very succinct and very, uh, he's absolutely right, uh, as I did some of my own research on this. And I'm not trying to cast dispersions on a person. This is what he believes. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, what I see is a lot of Christians becoming echo chambers of this kind of stuff. And they're echoing. And so what that's telling me is this is where your heart is. Mm -hmm. That that's what they're telling me. They're they're telling me my friend who who posted this and goes says this has essentially told me that he believes everything that this man stands for. He he agrees with everything this man stands for. What's happening is academia or the academy um, has gone over to a way of thinking, an ideology. And that way of thinking has permeated and worked its way down, you could say, to the to the pastor, you know, through um, seminary, through college, university, and so um, that way of thinking is just kind of spreading as people um, are influenced by uh, the academic world. I agree, and and see, I'm going to try and 
try and focus this a little bit. Some of these people that, you know, are reflecting, they're not stupid people. They're not, they're not dumb. They're not, you know, they're very intelligent. As a matter of fact, the one friend I know is, you know, a college graduate, a smart guy. And so I, I don't, it, it, what it does is, is there's, there's, there's another meme of creamers that got, Hey man, <laughs> uh, there was a, another meme of creamers talking about, and I didn't, I failed to look for it, but it, it spoke about things that don't look like love, don't look like Christ. Mm. And that's a pretty broad brush. Mm-hmm. And so you, you take that with, it, it's, it's almost taking people emotionally hostage mm-hmm. because it, it, it basically says that if you believe anything that's counter to what this man is saying, then you really aren't showing the love of Christ mm-hmm. to this lost and dying world. And so, with all of that being said, I would like for you to, uh, unless you want to, unless you want to comment on what I just said, um, I'd like you to no, read the, the. I think it's a lot of virtue signaling, and that's a big thing in our culture today. Is you know we like to stand in our soapbox and make these pontifications, and if you disagree with me, then you must be morally inferior, um, and that's just not not right nor fair. Okay. To people. So with that, yeah. I'd, let's let's have some definitions here, yeah. and one I'd I'd like for. So this is nationalism. Yes. And there are three definitions. Um, first one. Devotion, especially excessive or undiscriminating devotion, to the interests or culture of a particular nation-state. Um, the second is the belief that nations will benefit from acting independently rather than collectively, emphasizing national rather than international goals. And then the third is the belief that a particular culture or ethnic group constitutes a distinct people deserving of political self-determination. So as we're talking, we're not just talking about nationalism, but we're talking about a brand of nationalism that's been invented recently called Christian nationalism, um, which is a way of painting the church in a negative light. If you happen to be nationalists or you happen to love your country in, in a sense. So if you're willing to put a national U.S. flag in your sanctuary, if you happen to be um, well, frankly, conservative in your in your politics, you're essentially branded a Christian nationalist, and that then gets lumped into an extremist position, and suddenly, you know, you become somebody who finds himself on some kind of you know watch list for terrorism or something. It's it's a way to label a group of people and then um, make them a target. Well, in in particular, let's say the quiet part out loud. We're talking about the American church. Absolutely. I've seen, I've noticed this trend in the, uh, and I'm like I said, I've noticed it on social media, and um, is that there's this trend towards uh, regarding American Christians as well failed, mm-hmm. as weak, as morally inferior i like that term so there's that so there 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 happens to be this is this is part of that this is the this is kind of the 
pincher movement, I guess you could say, uh, of uh, to to use a military term. Uh, to, and so that's that's the first thing. The second thing yeah. that I, I find interesting is that it starts to associate. You said the word extreme. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it starts to associate us with real extreme ideologies. For example, there is such a thing as white nationalism. Mm-hmm. There is such a thing as black nationalism. Both of those are evil entities. Mm-hmm. Okay, when we say nationalism, it's almost as if someone is taking a, the DNA, taking a DNA sample from what was the Nazis. Yeah. Because what were, what were the Nazis? The National Socialists. So there's there's this tendency mm-hmm. to equate. When you use terms like this, there's a tendency to create associations that aren't there, but they you create them in the minds of your listeners, mm-hmm. of, of those who, who, who follow you or whatever. There's this need, there's, there's a identification. Right. There's several threads woven in to where we are today, and you can back uh, some of that up to historically to um, Hitler and uh, the National Party there. But also you have another agenda going on um, in the secular realm, nationalism versus globalism. So um, that's another element of it, that if you're a nationalist, that makes you an enemy of globalism, which is now the way. Right. So if you love your country more than you love the UN or or some globalist agenda that makes you an enemy of globalism and you get painted in that brush. So part of it is a defense of the globalist agenda. And so if you love country, and so our last president was about America first, right? And, and so these ideas, if you have the audacity to care about your own nation first, and if you don't buy into the globalist agenda, then that makes you the enemy and makes you fair game to be painted and targeted. And, and so that's one facet of it, is the, the evil of nationalism is because that's in contradiction uh, to globalism, which is kind of the accepted, not even kind of, it is the accepted whatever belief system, you know, right. goal. Uh, well, and it's interesting that you say that because what is one of the gospel's purpose? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you you just preached on it not too long ago. Mm-hmm. What, what is, you know, we, we all know the Great Commission. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says, go into all the world. Right. So Here's the thing. It's, a, it's an idol. And so um, when you look at Revelation and you start, you know, there is a notion that um, when you look at the end and what is the dream – and the hope that we have as a church and as believers is uh, this idea that we will all be governed by God, um, all under his rule, his authority, and believers will be co-heirs with Christ reigning and ruling together. And so what happens with the dragon and the beast, and as you look at Revelation, is there's a, and this is what Satan has always done, is created a false copy of what God 
is about and is doing. So um, secular globalism, if you will, is offering the hope of uh, what perhaps the gospel is offering, but in a very demonic way. That's um, not at all going to create the ideal that's being promised. So it's an idea that we should all abandon our own nationality, our own national identity, our own uh, patriotism and our who we are as a people and sell that or trade that in for some global identity is um, is a false notion. It's interesting when you read in Revelation, in the midst of all of that promise and that hope of reigning and ruling with Christ, God is our sovereign globally, the same time you have an affirmation of nation. So people from all nations, kings of all nations will uh, gather and bow down and they don't lose their kingship. Their kingship just falls under the authority of God directly. So as we look scripturally as a believer, if I look at in Revelation and the, and the hope, the eschatological hope of the future, um, it doesn't negate nationalism. It doesn't negate nations. Um, it affirms national identity, culture, and even kingdoms. It's just that those peoples and those kingdoms will bow their knee to God, Christ as their sovereign. And that's where the harmony and the unity uh, ultimately will happen. Um, anything other than that, um, anything other than bending the knee to sovereign God is is idolatry and is a false hope. Well, it's interesting that you point that out, and I'm gonna we're gonna we're gonna hit on that point in mm-hmm. in, in a little bit. Uh, two things. The first is that you uh, are. What 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 did you receive your PhD in? Yeah, so I didn't get a PhD. I got a Doctor of Ministry. A Doctor of Demon, Ministry. Um, and that was focused on ecclesiology. Studied primarily the ecclesiology of the chapel or basically studying is the chapel military chapel church in what way is it or is it not church and how does a chaplain's understanding of that impact the quality or caliber of a chapel program now it's interesting i'm going to stop you there just for a second because mm-hmm. uh i think that makes you uniquely qualified to talk about this subject because mm-hmm. there is this idea wrapped in what we've been talking about there is this idea this notion that somehow or another nationalism has that you know there there was a even though it's not in the constitution there's a reason why the church and the state are separate entities mm-hmm. and uh that be, that was to protect the church right not not the state correct it wasn't the to protect the state from the church, it was the other way around. Mm-hmm. And so, that I mean, that's exactly what our founders left, was this uh, corruption of the church to be used to enforce the state's will. Yeah, yeah so one of my peeves academically was when I was going through my program, um, reading some scholars... Brian Stone, uh, who is actually a Nazarene, who uh, has written 
quite a few books, good scholar, but um, there's a term that has been coined uh, describing criti critiquing the church, and they use the term chaplain of the state. And they use the term chaplain in a very uh, derogatory way. And, and one of his books that I was reading was just replete with all these negative uh, uses of the word chaplain. And so I wrote a paper um, that was published in the Didache, which is the Nazarene Theological Seminary paper. Just I just called it in defense of the chaplaincy. I'm kind of taking him to task on that terminology. And um, he and several other academics has become kind of popular these days to use the word chaplaincy and equating that essentially with a sellout. Right. So you've sold out to the empire right. if you're a chaplain because you, you can no longer maintain your identity as a minister with any integrity while serving the empire. So you've Which sold is out. what is exactly And what, it ties in with nationalism. It, 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 it's mm -hmm. exactly what Creamer said. Right. That's exactly what he said in that in that quote that we read at the top of the right. uh, of the podcast. And that all stems back to so within the church um, so there's all these things that kind of pull in together um, to get us where we are right now in our understanding or this problem of Christian nationalism is that you go back to a book written by Stanley Hauerwas and William Willimon called Resident Aliens. It came out back in 89. Had to look it up because my memory's not that good. But um, it's kind of not the first time this line of thinking was used, but one of the most popular. That book, um, I have a copy of it on my bookshelf. I've had it forever. Um, it really, really impacted the church, especially in the academic world. And out of that spawned a lot of uh, other popular uh, theologians and speakers, Christian thinkers, um, basically just emphasizing the fact that we talked about separation of church and state, um, this idea that the church must be separate from, pulled away from society. So resident aliens, thus the, the term. In other words, as believers, we should be, and to some degree, it, there's some truth to that. We should be an alien in this world um, as we belong to, to the kingdom of God. But it's taken to such a radical extreme to where the church needs to pull away from this world. Uh, there should be no political discourse in the church. The pastor should not ever uh, broach any political subject. And so whatever the intent of the authors were, um, what has developed from that line of thinking then is basically the church has been hamstrung and isolated from its involvement in culture or its voice, you could say, in culture to to be a voice of righteousness you could say in the world so this idea that caesar is over there the church is over here and the two shall never mix and so um, out of that line of thinking is yeah the church should be purified of any national symbology so you take the american flag out of the sanctuary because we're not worshiping our nation and so a lot of these folks will argue that's why we should take the flag out, because it's a symbol of worship, an object of worship. It has no place in the church. Well, I think anyone, in my mind anyway, with some common sense, knows that I'm not worshiping a flag in my church. I'm recognizing the fact that I'm worshiping in the United States of America, and 
I can love my country and love God at the same time, and one doesn't have to annihilate the other. So that's a bit of the argument. And, and some of my argument in response to this way of thinking is, um, if you read Scripture carefully, there are several examples of people who came to faith who were part of the empire. So now, you know, because now today, you know, America is the empire. We're the new Rome, you know, and so, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and so <laughs> America is the new bad guy. And so there's a lot of that thinking going on in culture as well. You know, North, North America, United States of America is the big evil empire. Um, but we tend to forget, I, I, this is my trivia question for a lot of people because I don't think people think of this, you know, who is the first uh, Gentile to receive the Holy Spirit? So um, Acts chapter 10 and 11, when God decides to begin moving in the Gentile world and bringing the church outside of the Jewish church of Jerusalem, um, he gives Peter a vision in Joppa. And he also simultaneously gives a vision to another individual in Capernaum, uh, not Capernaum, excuse me, Caesarea. Um, that person is a Gentile, and that individual happens to be a Roman centurion soldier. And so Peter, prompted by the Holy Spirit, goes there, preaches the gospel to a Roman centurion, very much, well, a, a soldier. Right. And a defender of the empire. Correct. Um, and not just anybody, but a centurion, which would be yeah, at least a, a company commander, yeah, yes. right? And his entire household is converted. They um, receive the Holy Spirit. And then there becomes a big scandal back in Jerusalem because, you know, Peter went to this Gentile's home. Um, and Peter has to explain himself, well, God told me to do it. And this is what happened. And then they say, well, I guess the... Um, gospel is even for the Gentiles, and that opens the door. The point is, who's the first person to receive the Holy Spirit um, outside of the Jewish faith? A, a Roman soldier. And nowhere do we read Paul, Peter, anyone telling that centurion, or anyone else for that matter, you must stop being a soldier. You must devoid yourself of anything Roman. Leave you know, get out of the business of being a representative of the big empire in order to be a Christian. Even John the Baptist, when John the Baptist is baptizing in the Jordan, uh, there's an uh, incident where tax collectors and soldiers ask John, you know, what must we do? And John could have easily said to the soldiers, well, you got to drop your sword. You got to quit being a Roman soldier if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, if you want to repent and be right with God. He doesn't say that. He just says, uh, don't extort people. Right. In other words, do your job with righteousness and integrity and don't abuse your power. So anyway, there's a, if you're willing to look, I think there's plenty of scripture to kind of help us understand that you can be a part of the quote unquote empire, part of the of national, have a national identity. I mean, being an Israelite, is that a, not a national identity? Correct. Did God not establish right. that nation? That's correct. I think he established all nations. So, um, And he never rescinded that. Has either. never. Never He's has. never rescinded that. Sure. Um, and and um, I, I want you to just continue with your flow of thought. But I did say 
first of all earlier, so there's a second and a third of all, if sure. I can remember them. <laughs> second of all, you read those definitions. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, when you read definition one, it has kind of a negative connotation. Yeah. And, and, and actually, if you look at the second and third one, even though they're more positive, if you will, if you'll allow me that, sure. they can even be used in a negative manner so uh i'm not i'm not sitting as i pointed out earlier there is a there is you know white nationalism there is black nationalism and both of those are evil entities Mm -hmm. okay but i think that's i think that's a whole different that's a whole different class of those are there's essentially making themselves nations of race Mm -hmm. rather than they're in other words they're they're excluding right. other people just by the term by the white, term white nationalist right so another yeah. you know or you know nation of islam would be another mm-hmm. one uh, so on and so forth so you know uh, if you'll read uh, definition 1 one more time for yeah, me sure. devotion especially excessive or undiscriminating devotion to the interests or culture of a particular nation state Right, excessive or undiscriminating, um, and and again, I think the way nationalism is portrayed today, I think to love your country, nationalism, um, and this is cast in this first definition in a negative way to be excessive or undiscriminating. This is kind of given voice to that negative understanding. It's kind of perceived a as selfish and B, as the source of conflict in the world. So when we tribalize ourselves, so to speak, and we become so caught up in my own culture, my own language, my own nation, my own national interests, that I cannot see anyone else um, in the value, say, of another nationality. you You would consider them not only outsiders, but enemies, just right. by virtue of the fact that they're not right. competing for resources right. and all these things lead to war and death and destruction. Right. So slavery so, and, and so right. and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. Okay. So, uh, but even, even when we read that, mm-hmm. even when we read that, it, it makes a distinction of a nation state. Yes. Okay. White nationalists are not a state. Mm-hmm. Okay. Black nationalists are not a state. They want to be, mm-hmm. but they're not. Okay, mm-hmm. so th- their their devotion is to their bigotry. Mm-hmm. Their devotion is to their uh, what's the big word? Ideology. I- or, well, their ideology, mm-hmm. um, but their ideology of hate. Right. That's that's really what it is. Is you know it's it's just a, which is definitely counter to what you know Jesus had his disciples, mm-hmm. but there was no. Okay, okay, boys, it's just us against the world. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, what am I leading a rebellion? You know, right. he was not, he's not doing it. Whereas, you know, white nationalists, black nationalists, mm-hmm. nation of England, they are. They mm-hmm. are trying to do those things. All right, now, the, the third thing I, I want to get, this is a little more personal, mm-hmm. um, is that you had mentioned to me in a conversation that, and, and I hope I'm not overstepping my bounds by mentioning this, um, and I can always... You know, I can always <laughs> stop and edit, fine. but there's a reason why you're happy to do this this particular subject with me. Mm-hmm. And as I understand it, you're preparing a, an article, mm-hmm. kind of along the lines of like you 
prepared an article as a counter to that or defense of the chaplaincy. Mm -hmm. uh, now I, I think you're, I'm probably right in your wheelhouse with this. You're, you're about ready to present an article or write an article, or you're working on an article mm -hmm. to present as a counter to the very thing that we're talking about. Right. Yeah. I, I really want to, as I'm going to read some quotes here mm -hmm. and I would like you to respond to them. These are, these because I, I think all of these kind of hit some of the points that you and I had talked about sure. um, in our short amount of time. All right. I had these notes, and these are not my words. Unfortunately, I don't know who, uh, who, who posted these. So as you could tell as I read this, this is not the way I talk, but yeah. um, maybe a little bit. But all right, so... <clears throat> I'm going to read a statement, and I want your take on it, okay? okay. Uh, first is, quote, on the matter of nationalism, bearing true faith and allegiance to one's nation is not only right, but also required of God's people. Mm -hmm. Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7, encourages the, Israelite, the Israeli exiles to embrace their new home in Babylon. Mm -hmm. That is with one caveat that your level of loyalty to the nation does not surpass your loyalty to your God. Acts chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. Yeah. Let's let's start with that and, yeah. and give me a response to that. I thought you were going to give me something I did, would disagree with. No, no, I no. I, yeah, actually, all of these are kind of Yeah, right. that's right on. I think, you know, um, that's been, that was the case um, for the exiles, uh, the given, case given there, you know, when, and I think the, the, principle of you know who is the supreme authority of course is God so um, when a sovereign nation state what have you passes a law or gives a command that's in con is contrary to what is just or what is within my faith then my ultimate obedience has to be to God so we have lots of examples of that you know I mean Daniel Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, you know, they're serving the king, Daniel. right? They're yes. serving him, and they're loyal and faithful in their service to him. And But when, you know, when they're then ordered to bend their knee and bow to the idol, then they say no, and they take a firm stance, and they're willing to pay the penalty for it. They don't whine or complain right. and say, well, that's not fair. I mean, of course it's not fair, but they say... We will not bow. We will be loyal to our God. And I also and then, think, let me let me add something to there. I yeah. also think, now the Bible doesn't exactly say this, but they knew who they were working for. Absolutely. Okay. Not like they had a choice. Yeah, I mean, they uh, got uh, yeah, 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 taken yeah, captive but, and everything, yeah. but still. But even yeah. still, mm -hmm. you know, they knew the people they were serving mm -hmm. with. And mm -hmm. they, they knew, you know, Daniel in particular. I mean, Daniel... Daniel, I was going to mention this earlier. I'm glad that you brought Daniel up. Daniel served with distinction. Mm -hmm. He served the king. I mean, he came. He became the king's right hand man. Right. Okay. But it didn't escape. I know it didn't escape Daniel's awareness that because he surely saw corruption going on all around him, and surely mm -hmm. he knew that eventually his faith and his service to the king would become cross purposes. Mm -hmm. and, and so, I, and as a matter of fact, if you, if you read the story, I, I, I always love this story. This is one of my favorites. If I ever do a sermon on this, I, I'm going to do it on this, that 
Daniel, after the law, first of all, don't think for a minute Daniel wasn't aware of what was going on. Mm-hmm. Don't you you don't become that high in 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 that structure, not knowing. I'm sure he heard rumors and whispers and mm-hmm. and he knew he had enemies. Yeah, he yeah. knew he had enemies and he sure. knew something, you know. I mean, he wasn't stupid. Okay. You you don't become that kind of leader mm-hmm. not and not realize that there are things going on. And you Moisten your finger and see which way the wind is blowing. Mm-hmm. All right. But interestingly, after that law was passed, what did Daniel do? Mm-hmm. Did he go into hiding? He didn't compromise. You know what he did? He opened the windows and mm-hmm. kept doing. He knew he was going to be seen. Yep. He didn't He didn't change anything. Yep. He, dis, he disobeyed an unjust law. He disobeyed. He, not only did he disobey an unjust law, but he did it. Flagrantly. Flagrantly. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And and a lot of people don't kiss. I mean, he he was like, okay, you know, let's yeah. if if I'm going to if I'm gonna go go big or go home is, mm-hmm. is what mm-hmm. he did. So it's very clear that he had already established in his heart and mind, I I can already see w- which direction this is going. Mm-hmm. And there's gonna come a point where my position and authority is not gonna protect me. Right. And so I'm okay with that. Yeah. And it's the same with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What did they say? They said, well, we know God can save us from this, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow. We're not going to bow. And so they had already established long before the situation came up where their loyalties were. And to emphasize the point, yet they were faithful servants to the king. Right. And to the empire for which they were living under. And and, and that's what uh, Scripture, God, through Scripture, has always commanded, that we be faithful, obedient to the authority under which we're living. So um, whatever that authority is, whether it's Rome or Assyria or Babylon or the United States, that we are obedient to civil authority. And that we, we can serve that faithfully as people of God. And when those things come into, happen to come into conflict, then we've got to make a decision. And so, you know, throughout even the New Testament, there's plenty of commands about, you know, well, even Jesus, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, right. to God what is God's, obey civil authority. And when uh, laws are unjust or civil authority commands something, that goes against my devotion and loyalty to God, then I have to make that decision. And there's plenty of cases in Scripture where, where that has been very, like we just said, very bold and very out and and not compromising. And so, you know, with the last rounds of uh, debates we've had socially uh, with COVID and everything, you know, I mean, um, anymore, if you're a Christian or Christian leader and you speak against authority in an area that has to do with morality or religious life where you feel like um, civil authority is is imposing or crossing a line with the church uh, that we should just shut up and do what we're told I think is uh, very non-biblical and so I know we've had a lot of debates in the church um, the last couple of years about what do we do? Do we have church? Do we not have church? And there's been a lot of uh, um, arguments 
on both sides of that. But um, well, now let, let's. I want to. I'm glad you brought that up because yeah. now there's something that I have to say on that, and I've said it in various mm-hmm. ways on a couple of episodes. But this is something that I want to hit. I remember when COVID first became. You know, where everybody was aware, okay, something is coming and it's bad. Right. People are hoarding toilet paper. Yeah, and, people yeah. are hoarding, hoarding toilet paper and all that. Um, that's certainly not biblical. Uh, <laughs> um, but I, I remember hearing the appeals from, from pulpits sure. saying, look, you know, uh, we need to care about our communities and we need to, we need to let our communities know that we're not right. so – stringent on certain things mm-hmm. that we neglect other things and and that's that's fair that's even biblical you know matter of fact i believe you use the scripture where jesus said you should not have neglected the for, former right. you should have done the latter without neglecting the former right so i i, I get that mm-hmm. but even as i was listening to that i started to feel this Hairs bristling. Yeah, the, the, mm-hmm. the, 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 to, to quote Captain Kirk, I started feeling a red alert right back here in the back of my neck mm-hmm. going, something is, this this can easily be uh, misused. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. And so while we Christians were being implored to care about our communities that was mm-hmm. certainly noble and and certainly right to do mm-hmm. there became where we, we were we were almost being coerced here's the thing historically in pandemics the church has always been known by its level of compassion and its willingness to run to the gunfire, quote-unquote, and helping those to their own risk of their yeah, own Yeah, to their own detriment, and correct. And, and so I think what's unique about what happened in this part pandemic is that with the advent of hospitals, um, the church doesn't necessarily have a role anymore to play because it's all kept to the hospital, you know, the, the health care right. professions. Uh, they have control of this. The church... What do, we, what do we have to do besides go to church on Sunday, you know? Right. Um, I would argue that there are some other things we could be doing besides going to church on Sunday to help, um, even in a pandemic. But, yeah, this again, it's kind of virtue signaling what's been happening, you know, this idea, well, if you, you know, the greatest expression of love would be to stay home and not go to church because we don't want to uh, spread this virus. And, uh, yeah, I felt that when that argument was out there, and I— experience a similar experience that you did because it's like, well, do I forfeit my identity in the name of love, quote unquote love for others? When we begin to say the church, you know, we really began tampering with the identity and the nature of church. When we say, well, you can, be church by yourself right. in your living room in front of a computer. No, you can't. And maybe we can make an exception for a short period of time to say, you know, if we're going to prevent the spread, you know, remember that whole yeah, line yeah, that came yeah. out for a couple of weeks? Let's, right. let's 
and that turned into what two years so maybe for a short period of time we can maybe make a sacrifice to prevent the spread but then there is a very over um, you know how the church became suddenly the epicenter for the whole virus right I mean we weren't looking at Walmart or Lowe's or Democratic National Convention or right. other we were looking at oh the super spreader for all this, the problem of all this is people going to church. Right. So that, what happened is, exactly, and so what happened is, and, and I know we're, it seems like we're getting off away from nationalism, but we're not. No. Um, the, the thing that what happened with that is that our compassion mm-hmm. and our desire to do the right thing, to do the noble thing, to do the moral thing, became a cudgel to beat us with. Right. You know, when, when a, a mayor of a major city and there was more than one, but one in particular. When a mayor was demanding that churches give them their roles, mm-hmm. okay. Because you want to, was it contact tracing? Contract wanna, tracing, okay. No, well, first no. of all, okay, so wait a minute. What about, what happened to separation of church and state then? What happened to, you know, that's not, that's not even within your purview mm-hmm. and you don't have a right to do that and 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 there were there were people who were having church but they were in their cars and there were literally police officers sent mm-hmm. to cite these and they were conforming with what and so what what happened is uh what happened is the goalposts kept getting moved mm-hmm. and in reality as we got more information and that's something else. You know, there was information that was leaked out. There was information, you know, a a lot of people were looking at this going, you know, this doesn't, Mm -hmm. this doesn't seem right. And where my problem was, is that there were pastors, there were church leaders who were like, no, 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 we need to, uh, let's, let's go back to to creamers, we need to, you know, as if as if the state is always right. Mm-hmm. So wait a minute, you can't have it both ways. Either, either we are not supposed to listen to the state and only listen to God, or we are supposed to listen to the state despite what God tells us. Mm-hmm. Now, they, they wouldn't say it like that, but that's exactly the conundrum that we got placed in mm-hmm. with that. Now, <clears throat> we could dwell on that and forever. And that's just an example. Yeah, of, it is an example. Of, you know, that relationship as a believer, you know, under the state and the authority Correct. of the state. When do we obey, disobey? Yeah. Now, here I'm going to read the second part of the statement. In regards to this nation, meaning the United States, mm-hmm. We are a nation founded on Greek philosophy, Western legal theory, and Judeo-Christian values. Our founding documents recognize and acknowledge God as the source of our rights and dignity. The right to acknowledge and honor our God is protected and preserved within the Bill of Rights. As long as the ideals upon which this country were built are still honored, then loyalty to this country, this nation, will never be sinful. Hmm. Amen. Yeah, I mean, no, obviously no nation is perfect or flawless or completely moral. Um, but the origins of our 
government has have grown out of the church, essentially. Um, so yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, we can we can be critical of uh, various wars that have been fought, various leaders, um, moral failures. I mean, of course. But when you look at our founding documents, our values as a nation, they they're derived from the growth of the church and you, you could say the kingdom of heaven on earth as it is in heaven you know the the reign of God's people on earth and uh, there's a great book called Dominion that really historically uh, shows the progression um, we, we really can't fathom today how um, depraved society was say in the days of the Bible, you know, early Roman world, and the progression, the moral progression, since the church has become more and more dominant. And of course, now we're getting to be the, on the end, other side of that now, so you talk about, you know, post-Christendom now, but still the values of, our, of this nation, the establishment of this nation, um, derive from the church and even, I mean, that's a great argument, and I, I agree with it, but I would say even if, would it be wrong for me to be a part of the government of China or the government of Russia, even if, I'm, if I live under the authority of a overtly, say, communist or ungodly rule, okay, does that mean that my participation, my service to that nation somehow devalues or cancels out my, my faith and my relationship with God? I, I don't think so. I don't I mean, either. We go back to our example with King Darius and Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and several others who served um, what you could easily call unjust rulers. I mean, they were they were on conquest. I mean, they were taking over the world. Correct. And very brutal about how they did it. Yes, they were. Yet godly men were serving those men. So I think it's a false argument to say say that you can't be moral yet serve um, a nation that may not be all it ought to be morally. Well, now... I'm I'm going to I want to make a distinction here and I not not that you have countered that. I want to make a distinction because here here's you, you used you've used these terms empire mm-hmm. uh which kingdom and thing of that nature. Mm-hmm. And I find that those words they in a descriptive term is not necessarily mm-hmm. inaccurate. You know, the, the Bible talks about, you know, empires rising and falling and nations rising yeah. and falling. There's nothing inherently wrong with being right. an empire. Right, exactly. Okay. But we use it in a pejorative way. Right. Well, we we do and and uh, particularly um, Americans because well, academia does. Well, yes, but uh, <laughs> For b- sure. b- particularly because and this is something that I try to don't ask, we are not an empire. Mm-hmm. Okay? We are not right. an empire. The United right. States is very distinct in the fact that we are not an empire, okay? Yeah. Well, it's confusing to people because we are everywhere. Well, so yeah, we. 
So this is where I think the argument is, you know, um, we we could have taken over Germany. We could have taken over Japan. Japan. We're not we're not a conquest nation in that sense. Right. Um, so then the argument flips over. Well, economically, or we have military all over the world. So you're an empire, not by the fact that you've converted all the nations of the world uh, to become United States of America, but it's a more subtle form of empire in that you know through business, through Oh, the dreaded um, capitalism, you know, that that influence de facto makes you an empire. I agree with your analysis of it, but that's the argument. Well, that and, and I, and I get that, use. too. So I, I've, mm-hmm. I, I used to joke. I used to joke with my kids or, or uh, you know, when they were younger, I would always and I would even use this in a kind of a semi-serious sense that, you know, we all are kind of building our little empires you know mm-hmm. we have a house you know we have we're all establishing our little mm-hmm. our little empires i'm building so a wall speak, by the know, way you know <laughs> <laughs> you Not go right ahead i'm building a wall, wall. Um, but uh, we get a fence installed in a yeah exactly yeah. well see and that's you know is that uh we could go on a tangent on that but sorry no, no, it's okay because it, it just gives food for thought and it may pop up later. But um, the the thing is, is that I hear people when when I say I'm building an empire, or I call myself, I'll call myself a benevolent dictator. Sure, yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, in, in my own home, so to speak. Okay, well, that's that's tongue in cheek mm-hmm. because I'm not a dictator. Right. I'm not. Some people might argue I'm not benevolent, but that's <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not a dictator. I'm not a tyrant. Okay, I'm not ruling in that sense. Mm-hmm. You know, I, and when you look at nation states mm-hmm. all throughout history, what's the one thing in common they all had? They've all had uh, an, empire, an emperor. Mm-hmm. They've all had the, uh, you know where all power is centralized in the hands of you know, one person or one family. And so laws, laws often changed with the changing of, of the king, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, in even, in fact, and I'm, I'm going to point this out, um, that, uh, you know, Israel wasn't supposed to have a king. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, that was never God's will. They're supposed to be a theocracy. They were supposed to be, that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. And to the rule of God's law. But Israel said, no, we want what everybody else has. Okay. Well, the interesting thing about it is we have a president. We have a position of president. and He is not the king. See, that's, that's, that's always been the problem that I have. He is a, well, he's a world leader. Yes, he is a world leader. Okay. He is an executive. Mm -hmm. But you notice that there are term limits. And they, these people are elected. Let, let's put, you know, shenanigans and, and this, that, the other aside. The truth of the matter is, is that either in four or eight years, there's going to be a new administration. Okay. Administration. That's, 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 the, that's the term. Okay. We don't have a leader for life. And that's by design, 
okay? He is not a king. And, and I would even argue even further, because, you know, when the Bible talks about submitting to authorities and stuff like that, and, you know, God's going to hold, you know, leaders accountable and he's, you know, and stuff like that. But interestingly enough, in this country, what makes us distinct from every other country in the world is that the people are the ultimate authority. So who do you think God's going to hold accountable for what goes wrong in this country? You know, now, we can sit here and say, you know, as as I have done with the current administration and previous administrations before, you know, you're an idiot or, you know, this you're causing this problem or you but there there has to be this understanding that he didn't just walk in there. He got elected. Okay. So I, I didn't elect him, yeah. he, but he was elected by my, my fellow citizens. But the point is that he can't decree. He can't make decrees. He, there are laws applying to him too, applying to the president, you know, whether or not they've been enforced or whether or not, you know, that's that's not for this discussion. My point is that we are not an empire in the sense we do not have an emperor. We do not have a king. If anything, the authority falls on the American people. Mm-hmm. I mean, even in Congress, when they're talking, they say, you know, I, it always it always irks me when I hear like the Speaker of the House, the, the current one we have, when she will say, the American people say this well in reality that's that's it's kind of a formality because there are represent we have a representative government so when they say the american people they're speaking of the american people as the embodiment of the authority this is what the american people want i you know i kind of throw mm-hmm. up in my mouth a little bit every time but that's but She's not necessarily incorrect yeah, when she she's says, saying, "I am the embodiment you know, of the American right, people." Right? Okay. Because I've been elected by them. Right. Okay. So right. you know, I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. there's there's plenty there's plenty to chew on with that, but essentially, mm-hmm. she's not necessarily wrong. Okay. Uh, flippant may be a more appropriate term, but she's not necessarily wrong. And so my my point is that wh- what's going on is. We have we have we do have a citizenry that is, and I am kind of going a little bit off track here, but we do have a citizenry that is largely ignorant or uh, doesn't understand their history, doesn't mm-hmm. understand doesn't understand how our government even works and so like that. So they're easily manipulated into believing, yeah, we're we're an empire, and so I I think it's important to make those distinctions. Yeah. Um, now I'm gonna I'm before I move on to the to the next thing. What, do you have anything to add to that? Or no, I think um, yeah, we are you know we are a nation of the people by the people um, for the and people for yeah. the people, and so there is an added level of responsibility that we have as citizens of this country, right? And we have largely cash that in for convenience. In I'll, a lot of I'll ways. use a term. So, I'll use another term that I like to use. We have abdicated. Abdicated, true. Now, what does abdication, where does that word mostly apply? 
Well, for a king to abdicate the throne. Correct. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's not inaccurate to say that we have, many of us, abdicated our responsibility and our Mm self-rule. Okay, Uh, now, this next part of the quote that I've been reading from kind of dovetails with the previous one, but uh, I I think you can stand alone here. It says... um, Our founding fathers not only desired the church to be protected from the influence of the government, they expected that good godly principles inform our governance. Mm -hmm. And I'm a quote from George Washington. Quote, while we are zealously performing the duties of good citizens and soldiers, we certainly ought not be inattentive to the higher duties of religion. To the distinguished character of patriot, it should be our highest glory to add the more distinguished character of Christian. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Your comment. Yeah, all of our founding fathers uh, were men, women of faith. Uh, I think you know we have a lot of revisionism going on today when it comes to the Constitution and looking back on our founding fathers. Um, part of it is we talk about freedom of religion and that kind of thing. Today, it doesn't mean today what it meant then. In the mind of our founding fathers, they were thoroughly Christian. Um, and when they said religion, they meant Christian religion. Correct. And so I think we redefine that word a lot today in our diversity, you know, our appeal to diversity, which I don't think was originally intended by our founders. For one, they, they were all men and women of faith when we talk about and I think he's exactly right and what he said there that you know we got to remember we came here because of a monarchy that vacillated back and forth between Catholic and Protestant and if one monarch was Catholic then all the Protestants were butchered right and then if it flipped, then the other group was butchered. Correct. Back and forth. And so out of that, um, imagine living that way in that environment for several decades. And, and I, might add, finally... I'm, I'm, I might add, if I may interrupt, if mm-hmm. I, I might add that oftentimes they were not necessarily devout in the uh, denominational of the faith, mm-hmm. particular faith, whether it be Catholic or, or Protestant, because neither... Catholic nor Protestant actually teach that you're supposed to butcher your enemies, right. you know, or, or you know those that you disagree with. Right. All right. It became it's always done under the authority of the right. state. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, so in other words, so in other words, it, right. it became well. It, it, I had I had a friend of mine that I got this was years ago, but a, a coworker of mine, and he was a Christian man. Um, we had some. We had some minor disagreements, uh, nothing major, but he would always, this was his favorite saying, he would go, he would read, he would read something, or he would have me read something, and he would go, well, that's Bible. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's Bible. Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh, no, no, it's not. Or, yeah, it is, but you're, you're taking the Bible, and you're taking this particular passage out of its context right. 
to suit your particular narrative and then plugging it back in. You know, I have a friend, I had a friend of mine who said, you know, text without context is pretext for a proof text. And that's exactly what he go. Well, that's Bible. And I, I ended up turning that on him. I would, you know, I'd read, well, you know, this, you know, Jesus said here and that's Bible. Mm-hmm. And, and so what was happening is that a lot of, uh, I mean, we think of, uh, who was it? King Henry who, you know, he didn't like, he didn't necessarily like it, you know, because the Pope wouldn't grant him, you know, divorce. a divorce. Mm-hmm. So what did he do? He just said, okay, I'm making whatever. myself, yeah. I'll make myself the head of the church. Right. And the problem is solved. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that right there was the state mm-hmm. assume, and, and in taking the authority of the church, uh, the moral authority of the church mm-hmm. and grabbing it. To enforce its own will. So that was that was another thing that that that's one of the reasons why there was. That's what mm-hmm. what did Washington say, or or what did the, the, this this guy say? He said, you know, in, our founding fathers not only desired the church to be protected from the influence of the government, mm-hmm. they expected that good godly principles inform our governance. Well, I think it may have been Washington. Adams, I'm not sure exactly, even Jefferson maybe. I think they all may have said it in various forms, but recognizing that this form of government cannot exist with an immoral people or an ungodly people. Correct. So it was never the intent that the separation be this wall, that nothing could penetrate. The idea was that simply that the government will never... Um, decide or take on a national religion. So you can't say that America will be Catholic or America will be Protestant. That is the official denomination or religion of the, of the government. That's the, that's the point. It's not the government. The government is not to intrude on the church, but there was never, ever an idea that faith was to be excluded from um, governing. And so all these men, many of them were ministers. Uh, They prayed regularly. They uh, appealed to scripture as authority for a lot of the things that they were, you know, arguing for. I mean, they had no ever any intent of dividing and keeping religion out of governing ever. That was never... It's interesting that you you say that because there are people who would say, well, you know, many of them were deists. Okay, I mean, you know, Thomas Jefferson is famously. I, I I've kind of read some things, but I don't know how true this is. I guess it depends on the source, but you know, supposedly Jefferson rewrote the Bible because he didn't like parts of it. Okay, maybe that's true. Maybe not. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't know. But here's the thing: I find it interesting that. Despite that, even if that's true, well, let's say it is true. Despite that, he still managed to. He he wasn't like Nietzsche, who, you know, basically mocked and and you know. Here's a little piece of history that people don't really know. Ben Franklin, who is most known as a deist, was very good friends with George Whitfield, who was the leading evangelist of the day. So um, Whitfield was evangelizing all over the place, uh, brilliant preacher, 
and he and Franklin, Benjamin Franklin, had a relationship um, and a great friendship and uh, an ongoing discussion. So even if they were deists, they were friends of the church. And a deism is just a, I mean, it's a form of theology. It's not necessarily negating there's a God. It's just an understanding, I would say, a false way of understanding God and how he operates. But none of them were anti Christ, right, or anti-church, or ever intended to keep the church out of uh, their experience. Although they ultimate, they had the utmost respect for ministers and believers. Although, so. yeah, and you're absolutely right. Although it's interesting, you, you said that they weren't anti-Christ. Well, then someone would argue, and I would, I would imagine. I'm, I don't want to put words in his mouth. I would imagine someone like Reverend Kramer would probably say, but if you're not for Christ, you're against him. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what Jesus said. But Jesus also said something very interesting, and I forget where it is. I think it's in Luke, but I think he actually said something different. He said, he said, if you're not against me, you're for me. Mm-hmm. There are two different passages. Yeah. And, uh, you know, because I think there was one story where the disciples saw somebody healing or doing, you know, in, in Jesus' name, but they were, like, they were like, you know, do, do Lord, you want us to stop him from doing it? Why? If, if you're not against me, you're for me. And now, on a personal level, I, you know, was, was Thomas Jefferson saved? Well, if we're to believe that he was just a deist, I would have to say no. But I don't, I don't know that for a fact, but uh, let's, assuming that I could make a, an educated guess about his, where he was with Christ. If he didn't know Christ, we know that he's not saved, okay? And we do know that there are people who can be moral outside of Christ, okay? But it seems to me that somebody like Thomas Jefferson, somebody like the deists that you, who were friends of the church, so to speak, friends of Christians, were ultimately, they were like, I, I'm I'm not convinced that of of Jesus Christ as the Messiah, or maybe I am, but I'm not convinced of my need for Him. Let's let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. But I'm not unconvinced. Yeah. You know. Well, here's the other part of the argument: is so s- perhaps some of the founding fathers were deists. Does that somehow negate the fact that the overwhelming majority of them were not deists? Correct. So here's the thing: I mean, so so what? Um, if you can even establish beyond the shadow of a doubt that Franklin, Jefferson, some of these others were, in fact, deists, okay, well, there are plenty of our founding fathers that were not deists, so um, I'm not sure what exactly that proves. The point of it is that when you, I mean, there is never an intent to eradicate faith from governance, ever. Right. Um, And... You know, one obscure statement from Thomas Jefferson, um, and we do come up with this radicalized notion of this separation. In other words, keep the church, keep religion out of schools, out of government. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. Well, you know, it's funny. Let's, let's go back to Daniel. Take just, down the Ten Commandments. And let's let's go back to Daniel. And and I as I read that story with, uh, I believe it was he was serving Darius the Mede. Mm-hmm who 
could have been quite, who was quite, quite cruel, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it says in the Bible that Darius was actually a very capable, very good leader. Mm-hmm. And he, he held ha- Daniel in very high esteem. And even when he realized that he was tricked by his own ego, by the way, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 those around him, because he wasn't, uh, I'm going to use. He wasn't a believer. He wasn't a. He wasn't a Yahweh follower. He wasn't following the Lord, mm-hmm. God. But he clearly saw the fruit of what Daniel was doing. So when he realized that he was tricked, uh, and of course he was because of the way the laws that law happened to work, he couldn't fix it. He. You know, he was like, okay, well, you know, may your God that you serve, may he save you. And when he did, you know, then that opened Darius up to say, okay. But what is interesting is that even he, who was a non-believer, was a friend of Daniel. He was a friend of Daniel. Now, you know, we can argue, yeah, he was a pagan. Yes, he was a pagan. And I think his, because he wasn't in the fold, so to speak, that made his ego that much more susceptible to being tricked and stuff like that. And there, there's a whole thing we could discuss on that. But the point is, is that he was a friend of those that he was actually uh, in tr- uh, keeping captive. Right. He was a friend of them. And uh, so I would argue that why, why would we isolate our allies. Why would we, in in, in an effort to, to be devout, why would we purposely alienate those people who are who are actually on our side? I mean, there are there are people that there are non-believers all over in the, in the conservative movement. There's non-believers all over it, and they're like, why are you? You know, it doesn't seem right that you're, you know, coming after Christians. I mean, Dave Rubin, I don't know if you know who he is, but Dave Rubin, he's a he's a former liberal. He's a former leftist, and he's a homosexual man, okay? And uh, he's, you know, and he's had, he's had Bravi Zacharias. He's had, he's had numerous people. Uh, he's, he's had, uh, no, he hadn't had John MacArthur. He had, he had a couple of, you know, Christians on, and you know, he doesn't agree because he's he's homosexual. He doesn't agree, but he's like, we can have disagreements. Mm-hmm. We cannot agree and still treat each other civilly. And he's like, I, I don't understand why people are coming against Christians. And you would think that he would be one of the first people to come against Christians. And at one time, he probably was, but now he's like. No, that's not what I'm saying. And I'm I'm trying to tell people, yes, I, I disagree with Reuben on several things morally, but why do I want to alienate a friend of the church? Now, there may come a point where I have to say, okay, I'm sorry, Dave, if I, I don't know him, but if I, I say, I'm sorry, Dave, I, I you know, I, I can't celebrate. It's so like he and his husband, his spouse, uh, have just adjo- adopted a baby. And there were several people, and I'm against it too. But there were people who was like, you know, I, I can't even, I can't even 
I can't listen to him. I can't. I'm like, I don't know if that's the right thing to do. I, I don't know if that's where, uh, I mean, we can say, yes, we oppose this. Yes, but, it, and then it starts getting into, you know, well, you know, the, 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 the mother of the child could have easily aborted the child and here a couple wanted to. And so now we're, and it's like, do you really want to wade into those waters? And so anyway, so I don't want to get off too far off track. Let me, let me read John Adams. Yeah. It's a quote from John Adams. Quote, suppose a nation in some distant region should take the Bible for their only law book and every member should regulate his conduct by the precepts there exhibited. Every member would be obliged in conscience to temperance, frugality, and industry, to justice, kindness, and charity towards his fellow men, and to piety, love, and reverence toward Almighty God. What a utopia! What a paradise this region would be. Yeah. So, one of the founders, second president of the United States, mm-hmm. notice what he says there. <laughs> he says, suppose a nation. And his supposing is that this nation would be that. Exactly. And we have certainly fallen short of that, but that's not because it wasn't... I I would argue that uh, part of it was because... uh, Well, number one, there's there's two sides to this coin. The first is because we Christians... I'm not saying first in priority, but I, I, because I think it's equal. But uh, one reason is because I think we Christians abdicated Mm -hmm. our responsibilities as patriots Mm -hmm. in preserving those elements of this nation that made us great. And then the other thing is, as as we as we abdicated, you know, nature abhors a vacuum. So what what happened is the the, I'm going to use the term secular. I know the secular doesn't necessarily mean evil, but for the sake of this right. discussion, as the sacred rolled Ungodly. back, as the ungod, yeah. uh, then, then the the secular mm-hmm. rolled in. Sure. So you know, I mean, as as people, as even well-meaning people said, yeah, we got to separate ourselves, and we mm-hmm. got you know, we can't we can't have a dearness nation. I think that's the very thing yeah. that helped produce the problem we're having now. And yeah, you have kind of brought it back full circle to the problem with Christian nationalism in this uh, assault, if you will, is that, you know, and it goes back again in my mind to um, resident aliens and kind of this movement started several decades ago. Um, If you're going to encourage the church to come out, separate from disengage with um, and, and abdicate, then exactly we're seeing what happens when you do that. So where's the voice of righteousness? Where's the voice of um, God's people saying, this is not who we are? We've been talked into you know, this abdication of our role in I think I got a loose wire. Yeah, that's yeah. what it is. Our role in participation in governance. And we are unique as a nation in this world in that we do have that responsibility as a people. So perhaps we will be judged more directly than people of other nations because we do have a, a citizenry and responsibility as a citizen to participate, 
to vote. Um, and as we um, abdicate that responsibility, as we shuck that off, refuse to um, really understand who the candidates are, what they stand for, as we ignore what's happening in society and say, well, that's their problem, you know, I'm part of the church, and so we're just going to be the church and let the world go to hell in a handbasket, so to speak, then we're part of the problem. And so, and here's another trick, I think, with Christian nationalism. I know we're getting close to time. What I'm hearing these days, what makes me angry is I hear from a lot of church leadership that I would just say has a more liberal bent, is there's this constant pleading to leave politics out of it. Well, leave politics out of it, you can, I'll just put words in their mouth because this is what they mean to say. You conservatives need to leave politics out of it. Correct. Um, and quit bringing politics into the church and into everything and leave politics out and just love Jesus and come to church and don't bring any of that pol political stuff in. But as you said, there's a desire then to leave a vacuum. Whereas we, however, when we espouse a position, that's not political. So, so there's this, I would just call it hypocrisy, where, you know, if I, I'm, a, I'm the authority who has a liberal position, well, that's not political. But when you conservative folk bring your stuff in, that's political. So it's like an inability to see, if given the benefit of the doubt, it's an inability to see my own bias while condemning the bias in others or the perspective of others. So I'm getting, I'm hearing a lot of leadership now talk that way. And I'm like, but you stand here and I mean, I'm sorry, but if you're going to take a position on whatever race, on um, abortion, um, going down the list, if you're going to take a position on any of that, that's a political Correct. issue. Correct. So, so now you're just essentially trying to shut others up by playing the religion card. And it's going back again to this um, Christian nationalism thing. It's, it's an attempt to silence a group of people that have a differing opinion on political issues, uh, casting them in a, in a group, and then demonizing that group, and then um, opening a way and a door to prosecute and persecute that group of people. So essentially that's w what I believe is happening with that. You know, we're, I think we're misusing these terms and finding a way to shut people up so that we can get our way. Now, for a technical issue, mm -hmm. I want to pause here just for a second as we're going we're gonna to wind this down, but I want to pause here for just a technical second a couple of seconds. Of course, people listening won't know. We'll be we'll be right back. But uh, I'm going to pause here and uh, do some technical thing, and then we'll we'll resume. And we're back. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, I'm going to read. I'm going to kind of bust through in the short time we have now uh, through some uh, more quotes. And let's see. Um, yeah, i got to make sure I get back into... There it is. Okay. <clears throat> this is Thomas Jefferson, mm -hmm. and he says, quote, God who gave us life gave us liberty, 
And can liberties of a nation be thought secure when we have removed their only firm basis, a conviction in the minds of people that these liberties are the gift of God, that they are not to be violated but with his wrath? Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that his justice cannot sleep forever. Hmm. Hmm. That doesn't <laughs> sound like, uh, I mean, that's a deist who is convinced. There is a God of, of justice. justice. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, John Hancock, quote, resistance to tyranny becomes the Christian and social duty of each individual. Continue steadfast and, with a proper sense of your dependence on God, nobly defend those rights which heaven gave, and no man ought to take from us. Hmm. Yeah, that's a little controversial. Okay, it is. And that <laughs> yeah. was John Hancock. To, to fight against tyranny. And that was a popular notion, especially at the time, obviously, because that was the cause of the, of the war, and the push for independence was the tyranny of Great Britain and King George. And so they back that up to a moral duty to uh, resist tyranny and uh, an appeal to uh, the rights of individuals. That's something of a new concept in, in the history of, you know, governance and mankind. Um, the, the moral command if you will the impetus to, the yeah, more, to, yeah. to resist tyranny but there is i mean i think there's a foundation for that when we talk about you know if we're going to be a just people and we're going to stand for what is right we just don't today have a a framework for that anymore unfortunately you know the courage I call it moral courage, um, to stand up for what's right and to push back against evil or oppression. And lately, current examples of that have that have really disturbed me is the lack of moral courage um, of our uh, military leadership, say, in the Afghanistan debacle. I just believe that some generals should have been slamming some stars on the table saying they, they all knew better and uh, did not, didn't have the moral courage to stand up and say, we're not doing this. Um, there's, I guess I, there are several other examples, but um, just I think one of our problems today is just the lack of moral courage um, to resist tyranny or to resist um, leadership that may be misguided and uh, unjust. All right. Uh, well, I would I, everything you said, I agree with. But you know, then that's where we would get into the the whole. Uh, remember what Creamer said about you can't sword and cross. Yeah, sword and you can't mm-hmm. carry the sword and carry the cross. Well, that's and a whole other. I'd love to have another whole discussion on pacifism, uh, because that's kind of where some of this goes, and. Um, and, and maybe we can have another discussion sometime on I that. I think we because, will. <laughs> because I think these things all kind of intertwined as well when you talk about um, being anti-nationalist. Um, pacifism, again, it ties in, especially within academia, there's a growing 
uh, empathy, sympathy for uh, notions of pacifism that are relatively new um, in the history of the church. And um, and so we, we go there again by at some other time, but... Um, yes. Yeah. All right, now, so I don't belabor the point. Um, Samuel Adams writes this. Mm-hmm. And as it is our duty to extend our wishes to the happiness of the great family of man, I conceive that we cannot better express ourselves than by humbly supplicating the supreme ruler of the world mm-hmm. that the... That the nod of tyrant, excuse me, that the rod of tyrants may be broken to pieces, and the oppressed may f- made free again, that wars may cease in all the earth, and that the confusions that are that are and have been among nations may be overruled by promoting and speedily bringing on that holy and happy period when the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ may be everywhere established, and all people everywhere willingly bow to the scepter of him who is the Prince of Peace. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Um, Samuel Adams, who also makes a great beer. No, <laughs> that's just a joke, but, everybody. But, I, yeah, I love the language they used back then. Uh, very creative words for God, you know. <laughs> the, the supreme, supreme ruler. supreme ruler, the supreme deity, the, yeah. Um, but, yeah, there's definitely the, in there, the, I think a lot of several of the founders kind of thought of America as a certain eschatological realization of what God has been doing in history. So um, right or wrong, um, they kind of believed that they were establishing the kingdom of God uh, on earth. And um, and so you can kind of hear that in his his language. You know, he he feels like. You know, the, the ultimate eschatological hope is that God, that all would believe, all would bend their knee to to God. And that's kind of what he's advocating for. And uh, and again, you, you, you don't resist the tyrant without taking up arms. Right. And so none of these men, well, obviously were not pacifists because they all fought actively in a war. Correct. Um, so that'd be another discussion to have in terms of, you know, if you're a believer, how can you take up your sword against, you know, right against a, a, uh, a government, a nation state under which you're supposed to be a subject, right? So, you know, a colony of England, um, here we are rebelling and throwing off a tyrant. And so, yeah, the, especially today, you know, the American Revolution is coming under more and more scrutiny because of the very things that we've been talking about. Correct. Uh, so, yeah. Um, okay. Now, Patrick Henry. Mm-hmm. It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians, hmm. not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. For this very reason, peoples of other faith have been afforded asylum prosperity, and freedom of worship here. Mm-hmm. Now, that one is of a particular note mm-hmm. because he makes it known that we as Christians who have our allegiance to one Lord, to one sovereign, mm-hmm. and that we we do believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. We do believe that no man goes to the Father except through him. But even he is acknowledging that it is Christians 
who it's for like he says for the very reason peoples of other faith have been afforded asylum mm-hmm. prosperity and freedom of worship mm-hmm. here it's very clear that again i mentioned this earlier i think that when they talk about religion they mean christian religion um and here it's spelled out more clearly uh, which i think is important so you know there's this debate you know america is not a christian nation well yes it is. It was founded by Christians, and they had every intent of America being a Christian nation. And th- like he said, there's always been um, a tolerance to allow other religions to have a sense of a certain amount of freedom, freedom from persecution, freedom to be at peace. But uh, the governance and the morality of this nation was always intended to be Christian. And right, and without. including, and I'll say, see, this is where, the, the, again, we, we're kind of skirting the lines of, of talking about nationalism. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that that statement, that, that quote from Patrick Henry mm-hmm. is absolutely, we're not sitting here going, yeah. okay, everybody has to be Christian. Well, we're talking, I mean, this is all has to do with We want people to be Christian. But because we're talking about national leaders, mm-hmm. leaders of government, clearly patriotic, clearly uh, supporting a revolution, uh, birthing a new nation that are very much Christian. And so, I mean, if any of these people live today, they'd be labeled Christian nationalists. That's exactly correct. Absolutely. That's exactly right. So, so yeah, there's a lot of revisionism going on these days, and uh, we've kind of touched on some of the reasons why, but I think there's, there's... much more to be explored as to why and what the agenda is for creating this term and uh, trying to pigeonhole people into that into that group you know all right Um, so that we can wrap this up uh, I'm gonna read it's kind of lengthy but it's the final part of this and it's from the the person who wrote this article Mm -hmm. and uh, so again, these aren't my words, but they they say it as eloquent as better than I could, and and then I'm gonna I'm gonna give you I'm gonna read all of it, and then I'm gonna give you the, the kind of the final say on this. Um, he he says I can only see one way. The uh, let me make sure I'm reading this right. Oh, here it goes. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, let me start from the beginning here. Um, let me take that all back. <laughs> Uh, How can it be sinful to be loyal to a nation thus founded and thus guided, a nation that recognizes God and Christianity as its benefactor, a nation whose founding fathers kept pointing you to the fact that your highest hopes are found in God alone? I can only see one way, the same way a person can worship the Bible to the exclusion of its author, the one who loves the church but doesn't know upon whom it was founded. Idolatry, the sin of which nationalism can become, mm-hmm. can be applied to anything. Since idolatry can be imposed upon even the things of God, does not does that corrupt... Let me re- reread that. Since idolatry can be imposed upon even the things of God, does that corrupt those things or make them inherently evil? Mm-hmm. No. Thus, I posit that nationalism, especially towards 
the na- a nation of godly foundation is not automatically idolatry. Mm-hmm. God does not call us to reject our citizenship in our civil state to become citizens in his eternal state. Amen. Our nation not only enshrines our right to become citizens in his eternal state, but at least at one time encouraged it. Yeah. So with that, uh, I want to offer you a chance to kind of put a period a on this. Yes. Punctuate, punctuate this. It. Punctuate Boom. this for me. I don't know that I can say it any better than that, really. I mean, I think that's right on. Um, I think throughout our conversation, we've at least tried to make it clear that it's a false dichotomy to say that you must only be a Christian or um, love your nation. Like those two things, as if those two things couldn't be held together uh, by somebody. So, um, and especially, again, of all, of all nations, the United States of America um, is, despite whatever failures there have been, um, is the most just nation that's ever been. And we can argue, you know, I'm willing to go there and look at all the some things that we've done as a people that aren't great. But the principles upon, principles upon which we've been founded, and we, at least our founding fathers, sought to set us on that path are the highest virtues of any nation um, that's existed. But I would argue, even, even if that weren't the, were not the case, whether that be Russia, China, I don't, th- I don't think it's a moral problem for me to love my nationality and where I'm from. And I think Scripture is very clear that um, you don't have to renounce your nationality to be part of the kingdom of God. And so um, if you're Chinese, embrace your culture. If you're Indian, embrace your culture. Um, Anglo, whatever, African, whatever it may be, uh, there's nothing wrong with loving my cuisine, the color of my skin, my traditions. Um, you you should be able to love that, and you can love that and still love God and serve Him faithfully. Well, I have nothing more to add to that. Uh, <laughs> Chevy apple pie, baseball. Uh, that's right. Um, America. Uh, I want to thank you. Dr. Spangler, Jeff, Pastor, my friend, uh, I want to thank you for joining me on this. Uh, and I, we will get together and we will do another one on some of those other things you pointed out. And we probably might touch back on this a little bit. Sure. But uh, I thank you for uh, your contribution to this. I think this, this is probably going to be... I don't think it'll be controversial. I, mean, I don't have enough listeners to be <laughs> controversial, but well, not everybody's uh, going to agree. You know, and, and and that's fine. I don't, you know, but I think you articulated well what I feel about this situation, and I, I'm sorry, but I cannot, I cannot get with uh, Reverend Creamer mm-hmm. on this position, and I think it's. We could probably delve into this at a later time. Uh, I I think it's kind of dangerous, to be honest with you. Uh, I I I feel it's very dangerous. But I think uh, by inference, we've kind of 
covered that. So anyway, with that, uh, thank you, Pastor, for joining me on yet another edition of Thoughts from a Lawnmower, and I thank my listeners for joining us. I hope you enjoy this um, very interesting discussion, very important to me, and uh, I will, well, I won't see you, but I'll... (laughs) I'll catch you on the next one. I hope you'll join me on another episode. Thoughts from a Lawnmower with Will Rouser. Uh, Thank you very much, and we'll talk to you later.